0: Thank you. Welcome everyone to insight podcast 193 all about windows recording this on wednesday the 14th of september 2016 i'm steve Litchfield. with me i have Rafe
1: blanford hello everybody yes i'm back from holiday this week thanks for our special guests for filling in last time and steve for doing his usual fantastic job on hosting i think you've been the most consistent person on the podcast Uh, you've been on almost every all about windows phone insight steve
0: I am also the all about Symbian insights. Before that, uh,
1: I, yeah, I was I was adding up. I think we're now up to somewhere in the region about four hundred and fifty, which is pretty amazing when you think about it.
0: I think the insight name itself was also my suggestion back it in was, the div and distant past. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, if you add add on my phone show chats, I think I'm into the thousands now of podcasts, which is embarrassing. So
1: that that's great. That basically means you can listen to Steve Dulcet tones pretty much non stop for something like well three three or four weeks straight um, but you oh don't dear. get any sleep in that <laughs> time
0: <laughs> oh, i just love the hp 3 Rafe. if you had oh, any wanted any updates on that
1: yes i was going to ask you about this because we were kind of expecting the anniversary update to come and we've kind of said previously you know, in one of the earlier episodes that we're going to wait for that before kind of giving it a fuller assessment is there any sort of news or updates that you can share with us
0: well, the according to HP's website, and I'm looking at it right now, it says this will roll out the Elite X3 on September 13th. And I don't know about you, Rafe, but that was yesterday, so uh. still no sign of it. But uh, it does say or thereabouts, in fairness. So well, yeah. maybe a little bit. I'm refreshing the, this device several times a day. I think it will make a big difference that the general look and feel of the OS, as people will know, if the content threshold to Redstone on their own Lumias, they'll know. For, know how much smoother it can be especially on a device with a really decent processor and three gig of ram here um it does need new firmware as well as well that there are problems with the camera there are problems i would argue with the speakers not quite performing properly um and just every now and then you get horrible lag and it's just not clear where that lag's coming from it's certainly not coming from the os because i've never seen it before any of the lumias so hp have got some work to do and i'm assuming that uh that there's you know making sure that this is this this big update which is let's face it is the one that's going to roll out to all the people and the companies who have actually plumped up money up front to be an early adopter of this device uh, whether as a test device or for their company this this is the one that will be seen as the one that will make or break the device i think
1: yeah i think that's a fair comment as we've always said with software updates those dates do tend to be a little bit loose and approximately in estimates. And when they come out, um, given that, you know, there's probably just a few hundred or maybe that's a bit unfair. A handful of devices, shall we say, out there, the majority of people are going to see it for the first time with this software update, which is why we think it's uh, significant. And I do wonder whether Microsoft themselves would have done a little bit more hardware integration effort for the, the newer chipset that it's running, given that, you know, would expect all the devices that may come in due course with that high end hardware be running you know in that that family of processors rather than put the effort into the older version but we just have to wait and see on that so i guess we'll check back with you in a future episode to see uh when that update happens and no doubt you'll also be posting about it on the site so kind of watch this space everyone
0: yeah the the elite x3 really is a a very solid device now i use the word solid in multiple senses not (laughs) only is it physically very solid and very durable i think that's that really appeals to me um it's also a very solid in terms of performance across the board the uh, if the software gets fixed up the the the, the camera is, is particularly interesting it's not up to Lumia levels i've already established that and hp has hp's marketing department has been guilty of some gross exaggeration um for example on hp's website it says it's a 16 megapixel camera with ois now i cannot without taking it to bits i can't prove it hasn't got ois but let's just say that the performance is so bad at the moment that uh i really can't verify that it has but uh Maybe the new firmware will fix that up. It's also, I saw a note on the site, that uh, the the anniversary update, um, AK Redstone, for the HPletics 3 will actually bring features um, that aren't there with the threshold. So, for example, did you know that the... Um, The phase detection autofocus, that feature, um, which we've been quite used to on many smartphone cameras in the last few months, um, that doesn't work at all on the threshold, but it will suddenly magically start working along with the fingerprint sensor for the anniversary updates. There really is quite a lot to look forward to here.
1: Uh, That's interesting because especially something that could potentially have quite an impact on the the performance of the camera and i I mean i know you've actually got an article on the site about the uh sensor size and actually some some precedent there as well i mean i don't think it's ever going to be uh, a kind of great great camera in the same vein as the lubius but i think we've been spoiled by those and uh the ois stuff is actually a good example of that i remember when nokia first added ois to its cameras And, you know, obviously it was a bit of a world first and then others started to come along, but the OIS implementation was never quite as good from the kind of the third parties. And obviously it's gone into modules and become a lot more standard now, but even even today there's definitely grades of OIS. And a lot of this is obviously to do with the frequency which it's able to to respond. Um, And there are actually various ways of implementing OIS. Um, And we probably shouldn't get into the technical details here, but effectively that has an impact on, how much shake effectively that they can deal with ha- happily and yeah. for kind of um, most cameras you know if you're just doing a little bit yes you know os will be able, able to cope but i think it's actually that scenario where you snap up the camera and take a quick shot and that's where only the better forms of ris will be able to cope or when there's maybe a longer exposure time and things like that and so you know Sometimes with these features we talk about, it, it, much like saying it's got a processor in it, well, actually, you kind of need to know the details of the processor or, um, actually the, the optical, uh, sensor size is also a good one. You know, yeah, it, it, you need more than just the basics. And so I, I suspect it's probably fair to say in this case, the Elite X3 has OIS. But it's not the same OIS as you might uh, see typically in other devices. And, uh, you know, there are other high-end devices that have really, really good OIS as well. But it was actually uh, uh, Nokia that pioneered that. And, you know, I think even to this day, probably still have some of the best implementation.
0: Absolutely. I mean, this particular camera article you're referring to is where the (laughs) HP claim it's got a 16 megapixel sensor. And yet patently, when I was doing my camera a uh, first look at the shots it was producing—they were coming out at 10 megapixels in 16 by 9 aspect ratio. And now, if you multiply that up to 4:3, typically a lot of sh- smartphones shoot at 10 megapixels, and then if you switch it to 4:3 mode, it goes to 13 megapixel, which is still some way short of 16. So I was trying to work out where the heck the extra three megapixels have been lost and uh i found that if you use a low level utility utility like phonet info which i'm very fond of i mean actually it queries the camera hardware directly and finds out um from the various microsoft apis all the supported um resolutions from the hardware and one of them is 16 megapixels it's just that if you if you try and do do the sums and work out why HP went for this particular restriction it's just that the 16 megapixels is the entire rectangular sensor not all of which is covered by the light coming into the lens mm. so you got this kind of optical circle and uh, the, the corners basically are just not covered by light so you're really only ever going to get 13 megapixels out of it and that's only if hp actually bothered to re- put the options in the camera i do expect that to also to arrive with the anniversary update by the way along with the, this PDAF autofocus i expect to see in addition to that 10 megapixel mode to have the uh the 13 megapixel 4x3 mode because that is at least possible and it uh, should work
1: yeah yeah that's an interesting one and of course also in some cases camera uh the manufacturers will actually avoid using kind of the edge of the sensor as well and i, I yeah. don't actually know which one it is in this case i suspect you're probably right about this to do with the uh, arrangement of the optical assembly and while we're talking about this subject i was actually going to ask you what's your default shooting mode is it 16 to 9 or 4 to 3 because i know this is uh one of those questions that seem to split the uh, camera phone enthusiasts
0: well it it depends really which phone you're talking about because a lot of phones if they just literally just uh, chop the top and bottom off to a 4x3 image to get a 16x9 then you're kind of why not shoot in the full yeah. the full aspect ratio and then you've got extra information to crop from later on. However, quite a number of phones including the x3 and of course most of the lumias uh they kind of make the most of the optical circle and if you're shooting in 16 by 9 and this is getting a bit technical but uh, you've got this sort of wider longer wider you can fit a a, a, a wider section of the optical circle and if you're shooting a 4 3 and you've got to somehow bring it vertically and still keep within the circle so in actual fact by going for sixteen nine, you do get a wide genuinely using more pixels in a an you know an x a landscape format. um so I use sixty nine most of the time.
1: Yeah I, I'm the same um, and partly because of that field of view that you're talking about there but also because there's a, a lot of things that it gets displayed on that actually work better with the 16 to 9 image and I think sometimes for me it just comes out as proportionally more pleasing on a lot of the shots I take. Now that may be because I'm doing a lot of kind of landscapes and, and nature shots. 43 I think typically sometimes works better for portrait but uh, a bit of a diversion there so uh, I guess I'll <laughs> see what our, our <laughs> next topic is.
0: Well, well, let's stay with imaging. In for a penny, in for a pound. Um, Apple. I know this is not—it's not an Apple podcast, but uh, ex nokian Ari Partinen, um, of course, and of course, um, I'm sure there are other engineers behind the scenes. But he was the most famous. Went to work from Nokia. Um, you know, famous for the work on the PureView systems and OAS and uh, the oversampling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, They went to work for Apple, and Apple have now come out with (coughs) not only the living images, which I think was Ari's first contribution to the iPhone range last year. They've now come out with the iPhone 7 Plus, which includes something that's worth talking about because... People listen to this podcast have been quite used to the old Lumia 1020, Nokia 808 um, pure view zoom, whereby you have a giant sensor, 41 megapixels, and then you kind of z- zoom in losslessly by basically smart cropping into this, gradually losing the oversampling, but getting down to one one by one on the sensor. But at that point, you're effectively zoomed in by up to three times with no loss at all because you're still one to one on the sensor per pixel. But Apple have actually put in two cameras, and the second camera on the iPhone 7 Plus is a two times optical zoom i it's in it's literally a telephoto lens giving you effectively uh this narrower field of view um and the software will and the, the immense post-processing power in these new iphones will let you it, it'll intelligently let you go from one time zoom to two time zoom by merging the results from the two cameras and then you can go from digital zoom onwards but the th- the thing I think Ari probably had a say in the fact in the way the software works and to implement this whole new way of Zoom. Several other smartphones uh, manufacturers, LG's one, Huawei's another, they've used two two cameras, but they've never gone to this extreme. They've either opted for the second camera being a wide angle or the second camera being a black and white sensor. Various approaches, but this this approach where you've got one physical set of optics one physical sensor that's totally optimized for a narrow field of view two times zoom and that the software is able to build that into the camera experience i think that's a very interesting way of doing it and if you look at the pixel density on the in terms of the sensor which is a one over 3.6 inch optical format sensor on this extra lens um you're not far off what the lumia 1020 and nokia 808 were doing it's it's very very comparable and of course you can test to tell the very first test i'll be doing when i get the iphone 7 plus in my my hands in a couple of days time with my nokia
1: 808 and lumia 1020 also to hand yeah i mean i i saw this when it came out and it sort of Piqued my interest immediately because it's, as you say, it's kind of. There's been a few attempts to do something similar to this, but I don't think the kind of integration in terms of software has ever been done to, to quite such a level. And we've talked a, a lot in the past about computational photography, and it's really taking that kind of approach and really applying it at a scale that we we haven't seen before. I mean, a lot of the stuff that was done by the it's actually the the team in Lund used to be Scalado, got bought by uh, Nokia. You know, did some early stuff with uh, cinematography and all those other kind of refocus and other apps that appeared Um and sort of broke new ground there. But arguably, uh, until we got kind of living images, didn't do that much that was in kind of the mainstream in that it would be every time you use the camera i think the exception to that is kind of the rich capture where it was kind of doing some really clever things with multiple um, captures and then adjusting exposure and we've talked about that a lot this kind of obviously takes it a bit further but has quite a significant hardware component to it and as you rightly uh, say you know having that processing behind it, the ability to have pretty powerful computer do stuff and then it happens very quickly in real time as i understand it um i haven't had my hands on the iphone 7 plus yet so um, i just have to wait a little bit on that it it appears to sort of be fully integrated it appears that you know the user it it will just happen and you know we're all aware that a two-time optical zoom isn't much but it is enough that people can sort of you know frame it a little bit better uh, because we know that people don't tend to edit that extensively on a the the photos they capture on a smartphone so i just think it gives you an extra bit in your toolbox and rather than having to typically what you might do is move backwards and forward physically when you're capturing something you can just do that a little bit and it's also a testament to the fact the sense have improved so much that actually you can do that without i mean you rightly say there there is an impact um, of, of doing this of course Um, So I'll be intrigued to see how this works and see some of the imaging experts kind of take this apart, including Steve, who no doubt will talk about it uh, both on on his podcast and also I imagine we'll see a few bits on the site about this as well. Um, But I'm kind of glad to see these boundaries continue to be pushed. It's a shame that it's not happening in in the Lumia devices, Uh, but it's also intrigues me that actually it's taken adding a, a bit of extra hardware to kind of get to this next stage and you know, you wonder what comes next and whether there's something in the sensors and everything else. But um, intriguing technology. I mean, do, do you think this is going to be something that's uh, a selling point or is it more of an iterative improvement? Because it's notable, obviously, that this is in the uh, larger screen device and not obviously in the smaller iPhone.
0: I think it will be a selling point. I think as soon as an awful lot of people I know, and I know I'm just talking about the enthusiast community, but an awful lot of people I know are getting the plus model simply because of the extra camera lens and this telephoto lens uh, i i can see why they didn't include it on the lowest lower, lower device smaller device obviously they want to sell uh, in large numbers of both and it's, it's a d- distinction between the two models but also would have raised the bill of materials i think on the the, the base iphone 7 by i'm guessing 30 to 40 dollars which is not insignificant i mean that that extra telephoto lens can't be cheap certainly they're not making it in vast quantities um, anywhere in the world um i be i'm fascinated i i suspect that it's going to be a very close run thing between the lumia 1020 which i know is three years old etc cetera, etc cetera, and not no longer relevant and much slower but in terms of just image quality and zoom yeah. i think it's gonna be a very close thing between that which you know we had a monster camera and this iphone 7 plus with it which is much more svelte if i may put it that way and of course much much faster mind you it's also an awful lot more expensive but anyway that i think that will be a very decent fight and of course the just the base iphone 7 camera with has oas now as well which i think will make it a very good match for the lumia Nine Fifty Nine Fifty xl so there are several imaging shootouts i'm gonna do on the site and i i do apologize in advance if i'm boring people but they they generally go down pretty well rave so i'm not too uh, despondent
1: they, they do and i think people like like seeing these and I, as you say kind of the interesting thing is this is a different approach i think it's probably actually more about the the size available but um it may not fit into the smaller device i mean we're never going to necessarily get a completely straightforward answer out of apple for that but obviously you know the iphone 7 plus does have uh, more space and actually the, yeah. the amount taken up by that uh, lens and the sensor and all the associated bits with it is not insignificant i mean people go "Oh, but it's it's tiny it's relatively small space is of course at a real premium in any of these devices and obviously the other infamous thing for the iphone 7 is the removal of the, the headphone jack and obviously that's that's the side thing i remember talking to uh nokia engineers way back actually and they're saying you know the headphone jack was the single biggest thing that they had to include and make quite a lot of compromises in the design to get it in this was actually a discussion about whether it should be on the top the bottom or the side and remember various devices where it was inconveniently placed and often the reason for that is it was the only place they could get it in and also they had to think about the impact that it might have on uh, the radios and interference or that kind of thing so i mean i've been following that with interest i mean I, i have to say i i generally like having a three and a half millimeter audio jack just because i'm using multiple devices but actually it's not that big a deal getting hold of a a set of phones with a lightning connector you know that that will come in due course and for those who want to go wireless there's that option as well Uh, but it's one of these things i think people don't always think about with uh smartphone design is people become so accustomed to them becoming thin and thin and svelte as you put it and sort of you know becoming much more solid i mean the thing that impresses me about smartphones in recent years in terms of the hardware, as well as the commoditization that we've seen, which may be disappointing, the overall quality, even for the cheaper devices, has gone up hugely. Uh, but there are still some really inherent compromises in those hardware. And, you know, the tolerances are absolutely tiny. And, you know, when you, when you're looking at actually most phones now, the, the vast majority of space is taken up by the battery, then the aerials take up quite a bit. And the actual internals that kind of run the smartphone, the, the brain, all the chipsets take up a, a tiny amount, so actually things like the camera modules can actually be very significant parts of the overall internal space being used. Once you take away the battery and the yeah. the aerial, so you know, yeah, great to see this innovation. I look forward to reading some of uh, Steve's, uh comparisons, and no doubt will appear in the site in due course.
0: Of course, I remember back when I was a boy, <laughs> the <laughs> smartphones didn't have, still didn't have three point five yeah, mm headphone absolutely. jacks. When we started, I mean, in the Symbian days, then the Nokia. 7650 right up to, I think the Nokia N95 was the very i may be wrong maybe be the All very the first birds, smartphone yeah. with a 3.5 mm jack before that we had to use these pop port adapters with nokia's the proprietary flat connector and then that went off to a, a an adapter in which you put some headphones
1: yeah and then you had the sort of 2.5 millimeter audio jacks as well they were popular on some devices yeah uh, yeah so the bad old days so you know <laughs> it's maybe not as bad as people people imagine i've kind of bit of a storm in a teacup for me that whole whole thing around lightning versus 3.5 millimeter audio but Anyway, that's probably a little bit of a sidetrack. What's, what's what's for us next, away from imaging, Steve? Yes,
0: this really should have been called the All About Imaging Insight podcast, but we're going to t- strike out now with some some d- distinctly relevant features. So first of all, the Skype UWP app, uh, dubbed Skype Preview at the moment, we did learn in a Q&A, which happened yesterday as we record this, that uh, they're going to keep that preview on the name until they've actually finished adding enough features in to give it feature parity with the old Win32 Skype app, which mm-hmm. I guess kind of makes sense on my windows 10 desktop and, and uh, my wife's laptop as well i've still got the old skype win32 app and it's it's running pretty well on the whole I, you're probably using it uh, to record this race. i am indeed yes yeah, so so th- at the, at the, there obviously is a reason why most people aren't running this skype preview in preference to that old windows application and part of it is the fact that the the new one just hasn't quite got the same number of features or the same level of st- for performance or stability yet so obviously that, that, that in this q a which i summarized is coming soon because almost everything anyone asked them was it's coming soon um i think we're talking about uh one to two months really for most of this to arrive and then hopefully that preview label will will be scrapped uh and the skype will just preview will just become skype and that will the version of skype that most windows 10 users will use i did notice right there's some logic being put into the app so that it, it actually scans to test if the old win32 application is also installed on the same desktop or laptop or a hybrid and if so it will intelligently handle notifications so that both of them don't start pinging at the same time so microsoft kind of has thought about this but i still think it's it still all sounds a tiny bit too late and a tiny bit too much of a clutch if i'm 100 honest
1: yeah yeah i i, I agree and in- like you say, there's a reason it's label preview. Um, it, it's good to see though that they're obviously thinking about getting some good native integration. So those who are using Ink, for example, on the anniversary update are, are going to see that baked in. I mean, they say it's an investment area, whatever that means, uh, but also some things around the SMS uh, relay capabilities, which I'm assuming is kind of building some of that in from the desktop so you can send SMS messages, presumably from a, a linked phone or relayed phone. Um, and I think this is a sensible way to do it simply because you know, like you say, there's a big install base on the existing win thirty two app, but you know we are moving to this UWP world, and that's obviously where they want to do from a purely from a Windows Ten mobile point of view, it's great news because actually the investment will go into this version, which will also work on the phone. It always used to feel like the the, the mobile version was kind of the red-headed stepchild of the desktop version and didn't get the same level of investment. And so presumably this includes the commitment to make sure you get a lot of the features and functionality um, on mobile as you do on desktop, thanks to the fact it's a UWP app. And it's one of the things I can remember talking about a while back that particularly from the official Microsoft apps point of view, um, you know, if they're investing in doing these UWP apps, that actually means desktop stuff and investment has much bigger impact on mobile rather than having to do something for mobile yeah. separately, as was the case before. And it's one of the reasons, I guess, that Microsoft can continue to make investments in mobile because actually there's a reduction in one sense. Because I would be strongly suggest that you know the cost of adding in Win10 mobile support uh, to a UWP app is considerably less than having to build one from scratch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um- so yeah, watch out for that one over the coming months. Microsoft Skype team has promised updates on a quote monthly basis, and I think we kind of used to see this with the Xbox team. You know, with the Xbox Music and Xbox Video, they were very proud to make sure that every month we got a new update. And I think the Skype team has got to take on that on that ethos. And of course, we used to see this Patch Patch Tuesday once a month, Microsoft rolling in all sorts of updates. So i'm um, no doubt Skype will continue to improve. And I'd be very surprised that the two applications hadn't achieved feature parity by Christmas. So. Uh, Watch this space. Um, moving on, Rafe. I did write a. After new much criticism around the, the web for. Uh, old uh, Windows phone applications being taken out of the Windows store, and the headline was usually something like, you know, company whatever has abandoned Windows phone and what they actually meant was that the company, whatever whatever it was, had a Windows phone 8.1 application back in 2012. Finally, they they after three years of basically leaving it alone, they decided it's just too old and too unsupported and not compatible with their current server plans going forward, so they, they've withdrawn it. But uh, my point really was that it's actually a good thing that old incompatible applications get withdrawn as long as there's a way forward and in most cases i mean i know there are some fitness related applications which perhaps are special cases which do need dedicated uwp apps but in, in quite a few of the cases that are quoted by the media for example amazon for example domino's pizza um again in both those cases the old application was really cr- cr- creaking at the seams and both amazon and domino's pizza work absolutely brilliantly in microsoft edge i.e in the browser now we're now in a 20 20- 16 world of responsive websites and html5 and there is apart from the inconvenience of having to perhaps pin a pin a a website to your start screen and use the fav icon if that's working it's not quite the same as having a native application but you know it's not a million miles away and it's certainly not the doom and gloom scenario that many of the other websites and tech media have been portraying
1: yeah i mean it is a tricky one this i mean as you say the, the doom and gloom is probably overdone but as i've said before it's kind of easy to write that story At the same time, I think it's fair to say that those that have been used to an app-centric world... Um do find it disconcerting to sort of have the advice you know, go to the web, and if you're using a say an iPhone or an Android device, you know you're used to having all of these apps. I'm not sure it's a very fair response to say, Oh, but you can use the web version now the irony of course is that plenty of people do, and you know my advice to any any brand would always be make sure you get the mobile web stuff right first because that's the great universal, and people can absolutely use it, but at the same time, you also have to look at the the stats which do tell a story of more and more activity moving into the app. I mean, the latest figures from Comscore, for example, say that uh, 50% of kind of uh, internet time now happens in apps on mobile. Now, the kind of corollary to that, or the the caveat to that, is actually an awful lot of that is sitting in apps like Facebook, uh, Snapchat, and Twitter. So it doesn't sort of address what I, I might call the longer tail apps, which actually I suspect a lot more of that does happen in the browser uh, and there are certain apps, and I think commerce is probably a good example where, as you suggest, you can get a very good experience, but then, you know, Amazon's a good example. I would point at prime now, which you know does offer a good app experience. Obviously that was never available on, on windows phone. But as I said, I, you know, I perhaps wouldn't be quite so laissez faire as, that uh, Steve has in his statements, but I do agree. It's completely overblown. And actually you can get most of that functionality from the browser. Now, you know this is actually part of the discourse that we've been having recently about you know what happens when uh, an ecosystem isn't you know effectively targeted at the consumers or it becomes so small that it's not worth supporting and actually that's where a lot of these app decisions come from you know companies will be taking a look at how many people are using these uh, Windows Phone 8.1 apps. Do they work on Windows 10 Mobile? And in some cases, they won't, which makes it even easier. But with kind of falling numbers, particularly the Windows Phone 8.1 devices, you know, the number of active users in any fairly given app per given month is going to be falling. So it makes it a lot easier to make a decision to switch those things off. And that's going to continue to be a problem because I think the you know there's no no getting away from the fact that the Windows 10 Mobile ecosystem is going to be a lot smaller than. The Windows Phone one was. I mean, if we look even in the UK, you know, at its max, you know, Windows Phone was uh, anything up to ten to fifteen percent of smartphone sales. It wasn't always reflected in the usage numbers because a lot of those were low-end devices. Um, but now that's obviously fallen back, and I think we'll we'll continue to do so. Uh, and so this is kind of a natural consequence of that in terms of the apps. I think it it, it does you know lend a genuine concern that it makes it harder for a consumer to use a windows 10 mobile device but you know we've kind of already said that that's why we've been talking for a while now that it's kind of it's more one for the enthusiasts now i guess you could have a a discussion about at what point does it uh, you know not become usable as kind of your only device and i think even even now you can make an argument that it makes sense to have uh, another platform available but a lot of people do have multiple devices and do carry them in that way um, but it really depends on your your usage profile. I mean, Steve, I know you, for example, don't actually use hundreds of third-party applications. You obviously like using the browser, um, and you're quite used to doing that. And I think it's very easy for people commenting on this professionally to forget that um, you know, the average number of, of apps installed is about 23. That actually means the majority of people who are kind of less interested in phones probably have quite a bit... Quite, quite a few fewer than that. Um, and I would hazard a guess that, you know, an average person probably doesn't actively use more than a handful of third-party apps. So sometimes this kind of discussion gets overblown and there's almost a tendency to assume that uh, apps are absolutely the be-all and end-all. Um, and so I, I want to be bouncing this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think this is a an issue that the Windows 10 mobile ecosystem or the Windows ecosystem in general will, will have to face Um, And if you're looking for an app-rich experience, there's no question that you're you're going to go to iOS and Android. But equally well, uh, I'm with Steve here in that, you know, don't make a big fuss about it uh, and don't kind of write every story about it being some kind of catastrophe. And
0: if people are wondering about the clattering in the background, that was Domino's about to deliver a pizza to Mr. (laughs) Rafe Lambert, which he'd ordered via the website now. Um, I do wonder, Rafe, why... For example, Amazon and Do- Amazon Domino as being two good examples, why they don't simply produce a simple web wrapper, which surely can't be more than half a day, half a man day of programming effort, and basically producing, right, but in a palatable application list form. Surely that's easy enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've had this uh, thought as well. I mean, uh, some will say they don't want to kind of have an app experience that is, is suboptimal. Uh, But I would have thought it would help with a discovery point of view, because I think where apps do make a lot of sense is kind of it's transactional stuff and it's encouraging people to reuse them time and time again. And I absolutely acknowledge that expecting people to kind of find and go to a website multiple times can be tricky. So, you know, and a lot of these things are set up, you know, almost apps kind of make sense. And if I was Microsoft, I'd kind of be encouraging that behavior. Because, I mean, it sounds like, Steve, you almost do that by default by kind of pinning these to the start screen. I suppose that's, microsoft's answer but i'm not sure everyone will be quite as familiar with you or uh, as the ability to do that and it's still you know that discovery thing in, in the app store And of course that can be a starting point for an app. And if you find you get a lot of usage, do that then might encourage you to kind of put a few native features in. And it could be something as simple as remembering account information or whatever it happens to be, or maybe some integration with uh, stuff in the phone, you know, the ability to, there are various examples. I mean, that's why kind of some of the hybrid apps have been so popular. years. I mean, admittedly hybrid apps probably declined in popularity recently, uh, actually mainly i think as a result of the fact we've got fewer platforms and so the, the cost savings you get from cross platform have kind of become less apparent to to brands but i i agree i don't don't see why that is i suspect that the the actual reason for this is you're right in technical terms it's probably just a couple of days of effort but getting that kind of signed off and getting that approved and everything about that that actually takes quite a bit longer and i think this is the thing people often forget about apps it's not just you just don't just go out there and build them. You have to maintain them. You have to have support for them. You have to kind of operationalize them and do everything that's necessary to support them. And and sometimes I, I suspect the decision is just, it's just not worth the return on investment. Um, and particularly uh, in this kind of new Windows 10 mobile world, there's again, yeah, we, we're supporting them through the browser. That That's good enough. We want to spend whatever time and energy we have on iOS and Android, which is a, kind of an understandable approach. But then, you know, you do see some fantastic, you know, third party UWP apps, which I'm sure attract a lot of interest. And, you know, the one kind of unknown for me at the moment is, you know, does that make it worthwhile to support it on the desktop? And, you know, the traditional Windows market, I don't think it does. But when I see more and more of the kind of transformer type devices and it's, you know, the herald of that is really the Microsoft Surface and people using them as tablets, where the UWP apps, where you know they, they are essentially more touch-centric in many ways, makes a lot of sense. And you know we've seen on the iPad and with other tablets that kind of a, an app-centric behaviour does become more apparent. And so that's where I think it makes more sense. So as Microsoft and its hardware partners grow that part of the market, I think investments for UWP apps. On desktop as well as the benefits you get of extending them to mobile will become more interesting but that of course is set against the fact we're seeing all these other endpoints emerge and you know mike joster talked about it in terms of cortana and the rise of bots but there are plenty of other conversational platforms we've just seen amazon echo announced in the uk today for example it's been available in the states for a couple of years as a kind of a brand as a big company you have to think about all of those and you know, there's basically a prioritisation on investment, um, and I, I suspect Windows draws the short straw in some ways. But uh, I do wonder whether, you know, while we will see this decline of Windows 10 mobile, um, and it'll be interesting to see what that goes down to. That's maybe a discussion for another time. You know, the the benefits of doing a UWP app and addressing the desktop, or properly, more properly, the tablet in the transformer market, are something I've kind of kind of pondered about. It's it's not there yet, but it's kind of something I'm keeping my eye on. Yeah.
0: It, uh, several people have suggested topics and questions for us for this podcast. I mean, the, what you just said there actually leads ne- neatly into perhaps our final discussion topic. And we've seen um, not only um, big price reductions in the Lumia 950 and 950XL, and certainly on the UK store, there's no sign that they're short of stock. Although one of the possible reasons I think we talked about uh, I think maybe with Jason last week was the fact that they, maybe there is a fire sale going on, who knows? Um, somebody's pointed out that in one of the Microsoft stores in Europe, that they haven't actually run out of stock of one of the units, So which may just be one data point where it may be endemic of that they're all going to start running out soon um it does raise the question really of what windows 10 mobile hardware will people be buying in 2017 i.e., next year and um microsoft obviously got this uh Retrenchment, I think, is perhaps the right best word, away from the consumer market. They've got the the high-end phones for enthusiasts. The 950 and 950XL, I think, will remain on sale in varying quantities for the rest of 2016, certainly. And I'm sure they'll be widely available on the second-hand market next year. But basically, if you want to buy a brand-new 950 or 950XL, best to budget for it in this calendar year. The 650 still seems to be fairly plentiful. Um, But they're hoping that the third-party manufacturers like HP, like Acer, like Blue, and there are a couple of others as well, we're going to try and cover these more on the site, they're going to take up the strain. I don't think they will in any way... Uh, replace what nokia used to do one of the big advantages rafe of nokia's um lumia line was wasn't the fact that it was Noc, uh, that it was the Lumia, it wasn't windows phone rather than Symbian. it was the fact that nokia had an incredible distribution network across the world that they built up over a decade and a half so if they wanted to ship a product they could ship a product into a, over 100 countries almost simultaneously and support it um, it's just unbelievable microsoft inherited a lot of that Uh, And it's gradually been uh, selling off the farm, really. And there's not an awful lot of it left, which is disappointing. And most of these third parties, um, HP excluded, uh, also have have very limited um supporting and distribution networks. Now HP is interesting um because they they are another global giant. The HP have a cell in basically every country in the world. And if HP want to push the Elite X3 and its peripherals and accessories as they seem to want to do, then yes, they are pushing that in a very analogous way that Nokia used to except that here we're just talking about a single high-end device Um, You know, right at premium, right at the top of the market, which is a very exact opposite strategy that Nokia went with the Lumia line.
1: Yeah. And and I'd also say the difference is that uh, HP is targeting the enterprise market. And so I I would say it's got much more limited routes to market um, in terms of the size of that distribution channel probably does have a global reach but much much smaller than sure, sure. than the Nokia ever was but i mean yes microsoft is going to need partners like that if it is to have this third party strategy work and and honestly we've seen it in the past and it hasn't really been very successful i mean we kind of said many times without nokia kind of windows phone would have been dead and there is a you, you could draw that conclusion now i mean i think the 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 differences in what we'll be talking about in the future no doubt is that you know, we are in a kind of different world for uh, Windows 10 Mobile now and Microsoft doesn't have seem to have the same ambitions. It'll be interesting to see if the, the Surface phone or some hybrid device um, appears and actually you know, that will be available through Microsoft channels that sell selling quite limited numbers, but it will still be an opportunity to talk about that. Um, if that doesn't happen and they just rely on the third-party partners, I think it will be uh, more difficult. And you know, I think the Microsoft tension has always been to try and pull windows uh phone and windows 10 mobile more towards the pc and i think in some ways that was to the the detriment of windows 10 mobile it certainly doesn't quite have the elegance and the simplicity of uh windows phone in in my mind in terms of the ux and ui design but that's something i think has been happening to smartphones in general they've just got more and more complex we're seeing the same thing really on android and uh, ios and it probably reflects the fact they are becoming people's primary computers so so fair enough that's a much um bigger topic but yes, it's sort of, be, be interesting to watch. Um, I think in, you know, for the the Lumia 950 and 950XL, yeah, they're probably going to be ramping down production. I'm sure sales will have fallen. You know, that's kind of inevitable for a phone that's now been on the market for, well, at least nine months, a um, little bit longer than that even. And, uh, you know... Yes, there's more limited distribution. And yes, you know, you see various things being dismantled. You know, some of the Lumia support channels have gone from uh, Twitter and Facebook, for example. There are rumors about the Lumia brand being retired. I think it would probably make sense with the the Surface phone. It'll be interesting to see whether Microsoft continue to do a low-end device, something like the 650. I think if they want it to have credibility in the enterprise market, they're probably going to need to do something uh, but there isn't anything stopping them from, you know, doing maybe a cheap surface phone as well as a more expensive one, um, you know, in order to cover the market. I I would argue they could probably do it on a handful of devices, maybe just one lower end device, and then maybe two at the top end with slightly different screen sizes, something like that. Um, and that's kind of what uh, was hinted at in Microsoft's uh, kind of strategy last year. They talked about having a handful of devices, and, and kind of that's what we've seen with the. Lumia line of devices, and we know various things like that 850 were in development and got cancelled, which was kind of kind of a shame in some ways because I kind of like the devices that were one step off the flagship. Sometimes I mean, on record, is saying the 830 was one of my favourite devices. Um, so yeah, in, interesting one. I mean, we're going to keep watching this space. I mean, I've been asked a couple of times, you know, why are you continuing to do it? Windows Phone is dead. Um, Well, yes, Windows Phone is dead because we've now moved on to Windows 10 Mobile. And yes, obviously, it's in a different space. But one of the reasons we keep talking about it is because we find we've got plenty to talk about. Uh, I do suspect we'll kind of have, as we've had in probably the last couple of months, Steve, a broader base. And we've managed to talk about iPhone and Android and cameras from elsewhere. And we'll we'll continue to do that because it's kind of entertaining uh, to do so. But there's still, you know tens of millions of devices out there we know we've actually got actually we've managed to increase the numbers of listeners to the all about windows phone insight podcast i suspect that's because there aren't very many windows phone podcasts out there and it's a, a way to keep up with um, what's going on in the windows world and also i know there are some people listening to this and thank you who uh, don't have a windows 10 mobile device but just like to keep up with what's going on and, and for some reason seem to be entertained by Stephen i's chatter which um, i think i can probably take as a compliment <laughs> Uh, but, you know, so yes, we're going to continue to talk about and cover it on the site. I suspect some of the accent on the coverage uh, may change. Um, I think the whole Surface zone is going to be a bit of a, a make or break in that sense. So I mean, it's kind of a watch this space and see what happens early next year, I guess
0: yeah and in the meantime of course so well it's hoping this hp x3 uh, update does arrive in the intervening week before i speak to you next Rafe. but uh yes lots of people love hearing your dulcet tones and hopefully you'll be here next week again but i'll say goodbye and i'll let Rafe do the final goodbye
1: yes and goodbye from me as well and as steve says please tune in next week